Thank you. Good morning. How are we? All right. Uh, Get your Bibles out. Go to John chapter 8, and we'll uh, be starting there and moving around a little bit. Um, My name is Matt. I get to work with our marriages and families here. Uh, Loved having the Geises here. It made me think about different flights that I've taken. Now, most of us have been on an airplane before, um, but how many of you have experienced a flight that you would put in the category of scary? All right. Unfortunately, I've had a few of those. I've had a flight where I was flying over the ocean. We had a big turbulent. We dropped down about 800 feet and the masks came down. That is scary. (laughs) I've had a flight uh, with a missionary pilot from Calvary Church, Chuck Weatherstone, uh, Ryan Rail and I in the back. We went to Guatemala and uh, we flew in a little Cessna airplane and we went from mountaintop to mountaintop. Not a real runway with a flight tower, but we literally landed on the side of a mountain going up. And then the worst part was taking off and you go down. And you just hope he can get the nose up before you go down the cliff. Um, Doing that like five times in the course of a couple of hours. Fantastic. But perhaps one of the scariest flights that I ever experienced, I went to Dominican Republic to do a mission trip. And we were flying, and one of the things that we heard about was that in the land of Dominican Republic, the electricity and the water go on and off at will. And so I thought, okay, I can deal with that. I didn't know that that was going to be the first thing that welcomed us on our flight in. And so as we are on our approach, the pilot gets on and says, ladies and gentlemen... Uh, there is currently a power outage in Dominican Republic, namely at our airports. Um, we will be flying and you might not see anything. And we are over the ocean. Not sure if you've seen a map, but Dominican Republic is an island and we are over the water. I don't know why they put airports right next to the water, like San Francisco. I, it just, I like Denver because you're just over land forever. But as we are coming in, I'm looking out the window and I see like the lights blinking off of the plane and reflecting on the water below. And I'm wondering, Oh, Lord, how are we going to do this? And off in the distance, I see fire. And I'm thinking, the power's out. There's no water, perhaps. How are they going to put the fire out? And as we were coming in for our landing, realized that they at the airport had lit these bushels on fire and lined that on the side of the runway. And as we came in in the dark, this is nighttime, We come in for our landing and I see fire on all sides. And I say, thank you, Lord. We made it once again. When you think about darkness, darkness many times can be a source of fear. It can be a source of just scariness. I want us to just understand that in this Christmas season, we want to look at Jesus, but Jesus specifically as light. And I want to kind of paint the picture of the light of God, the glory of God, trace that throughout history. And then Jesus, he shows up on the scene and says, I am the light of the world. I want to trace the history of this light. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go, and, and really what I want you to hear is that Jesus is speaking of himself, that he is the light that speaks. He is going to testify. So if you have a bulletin, there's an outline in there. You can follow along. Hopefully I'll make that easy for you. But um, first thing I want you to hear is that the light was on the move from the very beginning. 
God said, let there be light. And there was light. In 1 John, it says, this is the message we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him, in God, there is no darkness at all. But from the very beginning, God speaks into existence light. And then there was light. And he separates the light from the darkness. And there's day and there's night. But I want you to hear that the, the God who spoke into existence light and all of creation, he comes and he visits. And God was in the garden. And we, we see this story that unfolds in Genesis 3 in the fall of man, the first sin. And God calls out to the man and he says to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. So man in his shame is hiding, but the light, the glory of God, his footsteps are walking through the garden. So we have God in the garden, the light that's in the garden. But not only that, the light of God is in the tabernacle. So Israel was in Egypt. They're enslaved Pharaoh, let my people go. They crossed the Red Sea. And now they're in the wilderness for 40 years. And there's a tabernacle. God says, I want you to make this tabernacle very specific instructions. And so they follow it to the T. And then there's a prayer. And then the glory of God, the one who spoke into existence, let there be light. That light comes and is in the midst of the Israelites in the wilderness. And this is, this is what happened. At that moment, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord, the light of God. They called it the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God. Filled the tabernacle for throughout all their journeys. The cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and there was fire in it by night. In the sight of all of the house of Israel. There is a picture that God wants the people to know you have the camp. In fact, here's a, a picture of what... We actually had a camera and we took a picture of this 4,000 years ago. This is what it looked like though, is you have the tents and the tabernacle is right in the middle and you have the smoke that's coming up. It's God. It's the presence of God. God is saying, I want to be with you. I want to be right in the very center. You can imagine. What was that like for the Israelites to wake up, they get out of their tent, they're camping for 40 years. I can barely do it for a week. They're camping and they get up in the morning and they see the glory of God, the light of God right in the midst of them. But then God says, you're not going to be traveling around. He gives them a land. But then he says, I want you to build something that's permanent. You're not going to be wandering nomadic people anymore. You are going to stay put. And so I want you to build a temple. And again, he's very specific about how he wants this. And the light of God comes in the temple. Solomon finishes the temple. It's elaborate and it's beautiful. And then Solomon prays this prayer. And this is what happens after he prays the prayer. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. Men are falling on their faces they see the glory of God, and you can trace the glory of God moving. Again, we have another picture of it. What would that have been like to see the glory of God falling in a place that man had built? And so God inhabits it. So the light of God was in the temple, but then the light of God was not in the temple. And so Israel has this pattern of forsaking God and turning away from God. And Ezekiel gives us this picture. 
He narrates this. And over the course of looking at Ezekiel chapter 8 and 9 and 10 and 11, we see this reluctancy of God. The light of God is slowly moving out of the temple. They basically kicked him out with their deeds. And he says that if you don't want me, then I'll leave. And so we see this progression of the Shekinah glory, the glory of God. And Ezekiel narrates it, that it moves from the Holy of Holies to the threshold of the temple. And then it moves in the next chapter from the threshold of the temple to the doors of the east gate. And then the glory of God goes and it rests over the Mount of Olives. It says the mountain that's to the east. And then the glory of the God of God is gone. And we don't see the glory of God in history for quite a while. Now, here's the progression. You can see the Temple Mount moves down to the Eastern Gate, and finally, this is from the perspective of, of the Mount of Olives. The glory of God had left earth. Now, we can trace it all the way through, but what happens next is something that nobody could have anticipated. Now, it's interesting for me to think about, for most of history, almost exclusively all throughout history, the only light that was there was was fire, but in the last couple hundred years, even less than that, artificial light has taken over. Imagine you're an alien looking from outer space, and you've been watching planet Earth for a long, long time. How it has changed over the last couple of centuries is unbelievable. Um, on Netflix, if you have Netflix and you want to watch this, this is, there's this great program that's talked about. It, it, it's called How We Got to Now. And there's an hour long kind of the history of how we got light. And it is unbelievable. But one of the stories that came out of this is about a journalist that was living in the late 19th century. His name is Jacob Rees. And he had a heart for the people in the Five Points District, the Lower East Side of Manhattan. You had the tenement buildings, and it was overcrowded. It was slums, and disease was spreading all throughout. And he, as a journalist, was trying to find a way, how do we get people to see what is going on? There's such darkness. There's such misery. And not everybody lives like this. He saw the disparity between those who had everything and these folks in five points that had nothing. And so he was trying to find a way to do this. And he heard about this invention. These two German guys had put something together and it was called Blitzlick in German. They took, in 1887, they took magnesium and gunpowder and they created a flash of light. And he was able to take this flash of light, he brought it over, and he put it into a flash on a camera. You've seen some of those old pictures where you kind of put your head underneath the, the curtain and you take the picture. Well, he decided that he wanted to capture what was life like inside of these tenement buildings. And so when he finally got it down, they, they, would take, he, they took this, this light and, and they're trying to capture it because on the outside, you could just walk by all the buildings. Nobody had any idea what was going on, the darkness that he felt. And so he wanted to take some candid shots. And even at night, he would go in and he kind of brought some people with him. And it was a little bit experimental. A couple times, he actually caught stuff on fire. It was a little bit uncontrolled. It's amazing that we have like all of that like on our little camera right now. But he was able to capture this. And he took these pictures and he was able to 
see what was going on. And he published these pictures in a book called How the Other Half Lives. And he took this book, How the Other Half Lives, on tour. And using this other little invention that he had come up with called the Magic Lantern, took these images with one candle. One candle is one lumen. And he would shine these pictures on the sides of the buildings. And as the people of New York would walk by, and as he went from place to place, he would show these pictures of this is how the other half live. They live in darkness, and they are in need of light. He brought back an exposure. He got to show them what was in the darkness and how that needed the light. It was like the most depressing PowerPoint ever. Now you think about that. That is one candle, one lumen. Our projectors up here are six, 7,000 lumens. But he went around and this is how he did it. Think about the darkness of our world. The glory of God that ascends and goes up. God wants to do something about this. And to keep in mind that God wants to be right in the midst of his people. That God wants to be known by his people. Well, then we get the story that we are celebrating this month. From Isaiah, and we looked at this last week, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Verse 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. In John 1, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And all the way to the story that we find in Luke. Chapter 2, And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. That light, the Shekinah glory of God that had disappeared and left from the Mount of Olives, had come. The light that was with us, Jesus comes to this world and he testifies, he speaks of himself. But John does it first. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, his light, the Shekinah, glory of God. We saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The divine glory veiled in his manhood. And so God gives us this light. Jesus in the world is the light, the light of men coming into the darkness. Now, it's interesting. We talk about some of these words are associated with Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. That once again, God wants to be with us. When it says that he dwelt among us, that word is that he tabernacled. Remember the tabernacle, the glory of God? He was there and tabernacled. That word dwelt. That God, through his son, Jesus came and he tabernacled among us. And so Jesus, I don't think, misses an opportunity. I think the timing and the precision with which everything he does is incredibly important. Now, some people would say, and a lot of people from the community, I I come from a Jewish community, a lot of people would say that it was during the Feast of Tabernacles that Jesus was born. Now, let me give you a couple of things to think about along this timing. Um, in Jewish feasts, there are three pilgrimage feasts, 
where if you are of Jewish descent, you come back to Jerusalem and you come to the temple and you worship God there from the temple. You have Passover, the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot, and then you have the Feast of Tabernacles. We know from the the Gospels that there was a census that was being taken. If you're going to take a census, perhaps the greatest time to take a census would be when everybody is in town. And when we hear that Mary and Joseph were looking for a place to stay and there was no room for them in the inn, it's because everybody was there. Now, I think that this might be a great holiday, but if, if Jesus were to come, wouldn't it be fantastic if he came on a holiday that reminded us that God was with us, that God tabernacled among us? I'm not going to make a declaration of that. But I think that if God is not, if if he's going to be intentional about when he's coming, then this would be a great time for him to show up. Now, he makes this declaration, and now we're in John chapter 8. Now, let me give you a little background. In John chapter 7, it says, Now it was the great feast of the Jews. In John chapter 7, verse 2, It was the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, the feast of tabernacles, also called Sukkot, was near. This is the context. And Jesus is in there. And and there's something that takes place during this holiday. The high priest would go to this place called the Pool of Siloam. It was actually just recently discovered in 2004. I went there one year and there was nothing. And I came back the next year. And all of a sudden we have some steps. And the high priest would go down and he would take a pitcher, a golden pitcher, fill it up with water at the Pool of Siloam. And there would be this processional and they would be singing. And they would make this processional from the Pool of Siloam. And they would go all the way up to the temple. And then they would pour out the water. This Feast of Tabernacles was actually like a Thanksgiving. It was the final harvest. They bring everything in and they're thanking God. Thank you for everything that you've given us. And it's a prayer of hope for the next season to come. And as they're doing this, they're singing from Psalm 118. And they're saying, Oh Lord, do save, we beseech you. Oh Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. This is the song of this parade that is going on. It reminds me of this other passage that comes from Matthew 21. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Oh Lord, save us. There's a song that we sing that is based on this passage in Isaiah 12. With joy you will draw water from the wells or the springs of salvation. They would take this water and they would pour it out. And a a writing from, there's a book called the Mishnah. It's the oral law that would go forward said that anyone who has not witnessed the rejoicing of the libation water well has never seen rejoicing in their life. It was on this day, it says the day of the last, the last day of this great feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is talking about the spirit that would come. But not only is there this whole water ceremony during the Feast of Tabernacles, but there is also this other ceremony called the illumination of the temple. And there would be these four candelabras 75 feet up in the air and on each one of the poles there were these four basins 10 gallon basins and there would be somebody who would actually a a young lad from the temple who would climb the pole fill up the basins with oil and then light them and there would be this illumination from the temple and again the Mishnah says that there was no courtyard in Jerusalem that was not lit up with the light at the libation water well ceremony There is tremendous light 
And in the middle of all of this, Jesus stands up in John chapter 8 and he says, I am the light of the world. He just didn't randomly stand up someday. It was a nice summer day and they were around the fire and he said, see that? I'm the light. No, no. Huge lights illuminating from the temple all around. And Jesus at this time takes the opportunity to declare himself. He testifies of himself and he says, I am the light of the world. But not only that, he says, he who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but he will have the light of life. So not only is he declaring that he is the light, that he is this Shekinah glory that has passed throughout all of the generations, but he says that if you follow me, you won't walk in the darkness, but you will have the light, but not only just the light, but it is the light of life. And as I was thinking about this, I started to think, why would Jesus do this? Why even stand up and make this declaration? And I think that we have a God that wants to be known by us. Now, it's kind of an interesting concept to think about, that Jesus wants to be known by us. Now, I definitely want to be known by Jesus, but what is that? In in verse 19, it says, So they were saying to him, Where is your father? And Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father. He wants to be known. He is declaring who he is so that he could be known. It almost, for a second, almost sounds like a neediness. But God God has no neediness, but he wants relationship with us. I, I know I have neediness. I want to be known by God. I want to be seen by God. I want to be heard by God. And there are lots of ways that we go about things in our life to make ourselves known. Uh, Kind of a vulnerable story, but when I was in high school, I had a crush on a girl. Um, So much so that at lunch every day, I made my friends sit in a certain spot so that I could see her. They didn't know that we sat there so I could see her, but that's how it happened. Her name's Jennifer. And I liked her for two years and never said a word. And I finally decided in like one of those wonder years moments, I need to testify. I need to declare (laughs) my love for her. And so I hatched a plan. This is a plan hatched from the mind and the heart of a sophomore in high school. Now, Jennifer lived right down the street from me. We in our house had had construction done on our house and we had a contractor and it just so happened that when our contractor was, I didn't tell my wife I was telling this story and she's embarrassed already for me. Um, we, I'm doing it. I'm committed. We're here. It's too late now. The cat is out of the bag. Or is it? Can I stop? No, we must press on. The contractor finished the work at our house and then went down the street and started working on the construction project at Jennifer's house. And I thought, you know, 
when you guys, college guys, single people, especially us guys, we want to kind of work on what is that transition? How do we build that connection like right away, right? How does that happen? So you need to have something in common with the person that you are seeking. And so I searched high and low, all kinds of stuff, right? We live on the same street. We go to the same school. She's Jewish. I'm Jewish. It was going to be perfect. All those. But what I decided to do to try to build that moment of connection was say, we have the same contractor. (laughs) It was Friday afternoon and I got on my phone and I totally did the whole thing where I went to go dial the number and I hung up multiple times. No, no, can't do it right now. I had her phone number. It was memorized, but I've forgotten it. Don't worry, sweetie. And, and so I dial it, I dial it, I dial it. And like, I, I've, I'm rehearsing, right? I'm, I'm getting this all together. And she picks up the phone and she says, hello. And I'm all, um, hi, hang up again. Right. And so we go through this motion. Like it, it was painful. Right. And I finally do it. And I, I, I have my lines memorized and I know what I'm going to do. Hi, Jennifer. Um, this is Matt Davis up the street. Um, we have the same contractor. She said, oh my goodness. And she hung up on me. Two years for that moment right there. So guys, don't wait two years. If you like her, just go up and tell her. Not that you have the same contractor. Find something much better than that. And I said, no, 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 you can't do this on this day. And this shows you a little bit of my humanness and my misdirection early on in life. I I called her back. Not once, not twice, but about, the legend has it, about 13 times. And uh, to this day, I still shudder at that name. Now, I wanted to be known by her. I think what's more important for us is that we would be known by God. And I want to just affirm, wherever you are at, whatever is going on in your life, that you are known by God. In your depression, you are known by God. In your struggle to get up and go to work and a job that you hate, you are known by God. In your struggles with your relationship in your marriages, in your families, you are known by God. In your habitual sin that you cannot break, you are known by God. He wants you to know that He knows you, that He sees you. But Jesus wants to be known by us. And because of that, He speaks of Himself. He testifies of Himself. And He shows up on the scene at this perfect moment in history and says, I am the light of the world. We have a God that wants to be known by us. It brings His heart pleasure. It brings His heart joy. And especially in this season that we would pause and we would... Make every effort, I love, let every heart prepare room for him, that we would create space and that we would spend time in this season and not only in this season, but this is our life and how we live it out, 
that we would know him because he wants relationship. He wanted to be in the center of all that was happening in the tabernacle. He wanted to be central to what was going on in the temple. And he wants to be central in our lives today. And what I think is amazing is one of the first questions, in fact, the very first question that God asks Adam and Eve in the garden after they sin, he comes and he seeks us out. He searches us out. And we were reading this last week. We're going through the Jesse tree. We're in an Advent season. So we're reading this story with our kids of of a God who comes and he looks for us. And he went to Adam and Eve in their moment of sin. And as they are hiding in shame, and he asks this question, where are you? God is looking. God wants to be known by you. He is looking. He is seeking you. But... The first question that shows up in the New Testament is a different question. There's a group of wise men that are journeying around and they're asking the question, where is he? My challenge for us in this season is that we would be searching for him. And in Isaiah it says that when we look for him, that he might be found, he would be found that we've been given this assurance that if we go and we look for God and we pursue, that he would be found. And that we would be saved from darkness and we would be put into his kingdom of light. That is why Jesus came. Our only hope for salvation, our only, not in your good works, not that you're nice to people, not even that you come to church and you're raising your kids with good ethics and morals. Our only hope for salvation is to receive the light. And in John chapter 8, verses 23 and 24, it says, And he was saying to them, You are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He came Not to judge the world, not to hit you over the head for all the wrong things that you've done. He came that you might be saved. And that is why he shows up on the scene and that is why he says, I am the light of the world. Follow me, pursue me, have relationship with me, receive me. What's amazing though, just as the Shekinah glory, the light of God, slowly and reluctantly left the temple, went up to the Mount of Olives, Jesus the light of the world came here and he was once again rejected, crucified so that we might be saved, raises again to life and ascends. Once again, goes to the Mount of Olives and the glory of God once again leaves planet Earth. That light that was in the garden, that light that was in the tabernacle, that light that was in the temple, that light that was here on earth. Where is it now? That light is in us. There's a whole group of people in Israel that are waiting for a misdirected bomb coming from Gaza to wipe out the Dome of the Rock. And when that happens, they are going to build the third temple. They call themselves the Third Temple Institute. They have everything ready to go. They just move in and they will start it. But they need to change their name because they are not the third temple. They are the fourth temple. We are the third temple. The light of God is in you.
the glory of God is in you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? Do you not know that? The light, the glory, the God who spoke light into existence from the very beginning, that light is in us. There will come a day, and if you read the end of the story, and Ezekiel says it in chapter 43, but all throughout Scripture, there comes a day when the glory of God will not be in us, but the glory of God will be over all of the earth, like it says in Numbers 14. That is the day we ultimately look for. The light of God in all of the earth, but for right now, that light is in us. It's amazing. You can look, and we just, in a sense, walk through John chapter 7. In John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 9, he heals a blind man, and he says, while I'm in this world, I am the light. And then you get to John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, Jesus makes this connection. It says, at that time, the feast of dedication, another feast took place at Jerusalem. The feast of dedication is also known as the festival of lights, also known as Hanukkah. Hanukkah shows up in the Bible in John chapter 10 in this beautiful stream of light. And so at the time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. They're observing this event that took place about 160, 75 years ago. This event where there was darkness in the land because there was a crazy man named Antiochus Epiphanes who wanted to destroy the Jewish people altogether. And if the Jewish people were destroyed, Jesus coming from the line of David, a Jewish line, if, the, if Antiochus got his way, he would have wiped out the Jewish people. We could not have had a Jewish Messiah as prophesied. So I like to say that if we did not have Hanukkah, we would not have Christmas. And it is at this time that Jesus is in Jerusalem. They're celebrating the Festival of Lights. And Jesus is walking into the temple in the portico of Solomon. The festival of the Feast of Dedication, as it's called, was a reminder that they when after the, the Antiochus Epiphanes, after he destroys the temple, they come back in. There was, the legend has it that there was not enough oil to burn in the temple. There was always a, a light that was burning in the temple. They, they went to light as much as they had. It took eight days to make new oil. And because of that, the light that was only supposed to last one, it lasted eight. That's what they say the miracle of Hanukkah is. I think the miracle is that God saved his people to prepare the way for a king who was to come. They go into the temple that had been desecrated and they rededicate it. And they say, God, this is once again your house. That's what they did to the temple there. My question for us is, how is our temple? If Jesus is testifying that he is the light and that he wants to dwell in us and we are the temple, is your temple desecrated by sin? Or is it kept pure and holy? And it's in this moment, what we do, and tonight, fittingly, is the eighth night. This is the last night of Hanukkah. This is kind of the most fun one because the menorah is full. Eight nights ago, we actually just had one candle plus one here. Now, what happens here on this menorah is, is you see that there's actually nine branches. It's called a Hanukkah. And, and what we do every night is we light this one in the middle. We can bring the house lights down. 
Um, we like this one in the middle. This one in the middle, this is called... Oh, so sad. It's okay. We have fire. This one in the middle is called the shamish. Say shamish. Shamish is a word meaning servant in Hebrew. Jesus, when he came as the light of the world, he came as a shamish, as a servant. And he's called us in the same way to be lights. I'm just curious though for us, how veiled is the light in your temple? Is it visible so that everyone can see? Or is it hidden and corrupted by sin? Jesus says, I am the light. And later on, he says that you are the light. We'll explore that in a couple weeks. What does that really mean, that call? Jesus makes himself known. And he wants to be known by you in this season. He wants your heart to be totally his. In this season, how will we live this out? Now, we have some of our expressions of Christmas trees and presents and we sing songs. But my encouragement for us in this season is that we do some work on our temples. And that we rededicate ourselves to the Lord this morning. And say that I want my body, I want this temple that you've given me to be light. A place where your spirit can be alive and can be working. As the worship team comes up right now, that light that is in us needs to testify to others that we would share this light in this season. Um, What we'll do right now is we are worshiping and we are singing. Um, We have stations around the room if you haven't been here before. And at these stations, these tables, you can go and you can take communion. And it reminds us that Jesus came that we might be saved. It was through his death that we have been saved. And so we take a bread symbolic of his body and a cup symbolic of his blood and we take that at these stations and we remember and we are thankful for the light that came in. We also have at the stations offering buckets and you can leave your offering and in this season to be generous and to give um, to the work that Calvary Church is doing that we are called to be light here in Orange County and go throughout the world. And if you need prayer and if you feel like the state of your temple is suffering right now and is in need of cleansing. If you have never received Jesus, the light of the world in your life, then we would love to pray with you. We have some folks that will be on both sides here and just come up and just say, I need some help. You don't have to have an elaborate speech, but we just want to pause and pray and that that would be the beginning of some movement and rededication of your life for his. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you this morning that you are working in us, that you love us and you care deeply. Thank you for speaking of yourself and who you are so that we might know you. Thank you for being a God that wants to be known by us. Help us to shine brightly for you. In Jesus' name, amen.